Since the dawn of time, the elites have known that the crystalline tones of the five-string banjo have been solely responsible for spontaneous human ascension. And the six-string agenda came about to suppress the banjo and keep the banjo buck-toothed and slack-jawed in nature. So unfortunately, this is something that I personally have to combat by making dope banjo content. So. <laughs> Greetings, folks. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Keith Billick here. I hope you're all having a great day. I'm really happy that you're joining me. And, you know, for those of you who aren't joining us here, who needs you? You're just going to miss out on all this invaluable insider banjo wisdom. But you know who isn't going to miss out on a lot of banjo wisdom is Matthew Smith. Matthew is today's Patreon supporter of the show. And I know Matt's not missing out because he's been showing up to all the VIP lounges, taking full advantage of his Patreon status as a true VIP listener. So, Matthew, thank you so much for your generosity. It really helps keep the show going, and I truly appreciate it. Now, like I said, that VIP lounge monthly video meetup is just one of the bonus perks for those of you who want to support the show. So head on over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and you can find out what that whole deal is. But needless to say, I appreciate all of you who do that, and it really is helpful. Other ways to support the show, go to banjopodcast.com. That's where you get your official Picky Fingers t-shirts. Now, you may have seen photos of various banjo celebrities wearing their Picky Fingers shirts online, social media, so you can get one too, and they are guaranteed to improve your banjo playing by at least 50% while you're wearing them. Other than that, make sure you find me on all the social medias and like and subscribe things and share things. You know how the algorithm works, or none of us know how it works, but apparently that stuff helps. So I do appreciate all of that as well. Other than that, drop me a line, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Happy to hear from you and keep in touch that way. Today's featured guest is Ricky Meyer. Ricky is an award-winning banjo player and composer and has been making a bit of a name for himself in recent years as an online instructor via his really popular YouTube channel and on the social medias. And for any of you who haven't checked out his instructional videos, it's worth it just for the entertainment value alone. But he also covers some really cool banjo topics and definitely has his own style of teaching, which you will undoubtedly get a bit of a sample of in this interview. On top of that, he has put out a couple solo albums, the most recent of which is Banjo Daddy Volume 1, and that just came out this week. So if you dig what Ricky's doing, uh, make sure you look into that. I also do need to add a content warning here. Ricky uses a handful of grown-up words, so if you don't feel like hearing that or if there's someone around who you don't want to hear that, 
consider yourself warned. But uh, at any rate, it's always an entertaining conversation when I get to chat with Ricky Meyer. So please enjoy the interview. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's your boy, Mr. Rick. My name is Ricky Meyer, and I uh, am a banjo influencer. I'm from Marin County, California. Um, I got into banjo in high school. I really wanted to be a slap bass player, but the bass was too big for my hands. But I was also play. I learned a little guitar in my high school music class, specifically Stairway to Heaven and Blackbird. And I just, the finger picking came naturally to me. I didn't think much about it. Somebody put a, a banjo in my hand. They taught me Cripple Creek. And I was like, wow, that's that that's kind of cool. And I dragged my mom to a music store. I was like, mom, look what I could do. I played Cripple Creek. I like, went back home, didn't think much about it. Then the summer of my sophomore year in high school, my mom brought me a banjo. I brought that to my high school music class. And wow. um, I like said to my friends, like, you guys want to start a band? Like there was a guitar player who, who was my buddy. He was like, yeah, I'll start a band. There's a mandolin player who I'd never met. He's like, yeah, let's start a band. And I felt bad because his friend was there with a guitar. I was, like, I was like, and you can play bass. So cool. And then the <laughs> Itchy Mountain Men were born. The Itchy Mountain Men. Yeah. And then like we like we just left. Like the, like the high school music class was funny because like the first, I was a freshman when this music teacher, it was his first year teaching at the school. And somehow, some way, he told the administration, like, guys, my family goes on a, like, a, a sailing trip every 10 years. Or, like, every 20 years, my family goes on the sailing trip. I can't miss it. I'm sorry. And he leaves the first three weeks of his employment at the school. So the music class was just utter chaos. And so I was just an invite. And also before that, like, they called me, like, summer of eighth grade. And they're like, hey, would you like to be a part of a music class? I was like, oh, yeah, sure. They're like, do you, like, do you play guitar, drums, or bass? I was like, well, I play bass. He was like, are you beginner, intermediate, or advanced? I was like, oh, I'm advanced. And all I could do was like play crazy train on the bass. But my freshman year of high school, I was just in a music class with advanced people. And so, and there was like no instructor there except a substitute teacher who just took role. And I was just around a bunch of people who had had music lessons their whole life. And so I Wait, I this learned. is real life or is, is this just the plot of School of Rock with Jack Black? <laughs> this, that, that's kind of what no, it sounds like for the. This was, this was my high school music class, which dramatically altered the course of my life. Well, that's nuts. Yeah. So, so. You actually got a banjo in your hands. You actually found other people who were willing to play with you right off the bat. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. And Did then, you actually get into banjo music? It, it sounds like it was my, my high school music. Know. My high school music teacher, John Mattern. He was, and he still teaches at Redwood. He's going to retire soon. He's a he plays five string banjo. He sat down with me a lot my first year and taught me Salt Creek. He taught me Blackberry Blossom, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. He had me learn Home Sweet Home out of the Scruggs book. It's really confusing, but uh, that's where I really first learned is sitting down, reading the Scruggs book, kind of confused. I was in jazz band in high school, too. And did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. They gave it, yeah, it just, it just like, ha- it just came to me and I just, I'm naturally persistent. I, I grew up skateboarding and skateboarding is kind of my thing. Me and my friends all did it, but I'm, I'm naturally very persistent in music, sp- specifically like a stringed instrument. Like banjo, it's I, I just I will persist and I love to do it. I just I just do you it. Think, without, I just do it without doing it. And you think it's something with like the technical nature? You 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 seem like a very you, you have sort of an engineering type of mind where you you, you deconstruct things and see how they work. Yeah. Uh, is there? Some, it must be something about the banjo that appealed to that part of you. That that yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. 
But I think even deeper, my fascination with the banjo is the same reason why I love slap bass. And that reason is 16th notes, like... And the banjo just happens to be an easy way to access that rhythmic family. Right. That's that's how you're, quote unquote, supposed to play it. So it, it, <laughs> yeah. it just goes right there. Yeah. And, that, and that, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I love about it. So who were some of your, I mean, if you, if you were digesting the music, were you also finding what recordings and other players? And if so, like what was turning you on at, in those early uh, years and catching and your I, ear? When, when I, when I was like first starting banjo, man, I didn't like banjo music. It's like, I, 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 I like, I, I remember like listening to JD Crow in the new South being like, nah, I'm just, I'm just like not into that right now. Hearing drive. I was like, okay, cool. Like I, I'm into that. Hearing the flectones. I was super into the flectones and I tried oh. listening to the bluegrass album band, but I remember my girlfriend in the, at the time she was like 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 listen let's, we're listening to this again I'm like yeah you're kind of right but I, I play <laughs> I really like to play banjo and I like to be involved in a band I like to be in a group but actually my love for bluegrass music and learning it came when I was at in Boston and Berkeley when I really got into it but in high school I was in love with the flectones and I still am but something about Victor Wooten and Future Man with Bale Flex compositions Howard Levy on the harmonica, like that is a special group, and they were prolific. was to invent all that stuff together I want to recreate that well that's amazing you you just teased uh, the whole Berkeley component so you you obviously enjoyed this enough did you um, I guess what went into your decision to go to Berkeley and then did you have to declare yourself a banjo principal or did you go as like a banjo bass combo or, or were you all in on the banjo by that point i was all in on the banjo at that point i mean I, I just played banjo in high school that was like my thing that and like skateboarding were my thing and then um my dad is a construction company i worked some construction and one of the carpenters was like you know if i would do it all over again i'd become a nurse because it's just it's just good pay and it's reliable work and i was like okay that's a good idea i'm gonna become a nurse and then so i went to community college for like two years taking the nursing prerequisites and mm. I was like, cool. I, and I was just telling, I was happily telling everybody I knew exactly what I was doing in my life. I want to become a nurse. Two of my, my one of my really close friends, um, both of his parents were doctors and they were very supportive. Like, I'm going to become a nurse anesthetist. And I looked all into it. I started going to like things, started volunteering in hospitals. It was great. And then when it came to actual time to like apply to nursing school after I had been like volunteering in the hospital and seeing what nurses actually do, man, I got suicidally depressed. It was a very, wow. very bad, very bad time. I had this vision at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival, where I was in the center of this tornado, and the tornado was made of like like treble clefs and eighth notes and like whole, whole, whole notes and half steps and stuff like that, and then I wasn't in the center of it. And I knew that something was wrong. And then like, so I, I said, I'm not going to nursing school, and I just kind of like took some time off because I was, I was in a really bad state of my mind. And then, funny story, that's right when like Gmail was around and, and Facebook just came out, 
And I remember I was on the banjo hangout and somebody texted me. I was like, what should I listen to? And somebody's like, oh, you should listen to Jens Kruger up 18 North. I'm like, oh, okay. And it was like some, some like banjo at Yahoo, like email. And then Facebook, Facebook allowed me to import all my contacts from Gmail. And one of the contacts was Gabe Hirschfeld. And then mm-hmm. I found out that Gabe Hirschfeld, it was actually, he's not an old guy, but he's like a young guy my age going to Berkeley College of Music. I'd never heard of that. And then so I looked into it. It was like, oh, there's a bunch of like young, like hot players going here. And I told my mom about it. My mom was like, well, why don't you just apply? So I'm like, okay. So I applied. Um, and I got in with a half ride. I played Bela Flex Drive. And I played them a, a Prelude to the Box cello suite, which I had learned from ear, by, by ear because one of my mom, one of my friend's mom did the cellist in the San Francisco Symphony. So I got into Berkeley with a half ride and I lied in bed that night, um, just kind of resonating with this feeling of like, my life has changed direction for the good. It was a very, wow. very profound moment in my life. That was around, like I was really depressed around 2010 and this happened around 2011 that that shift happened. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah, let's, I guess let's fast forward to that. Tell us about the Berkeley experience. Tell us who you studied with, what you were learning that maybe you even carry with you today. What what sort of things were you soaking up there? So, Berkeley. The most important thing about Berkeley is Boston. Why is Boston important? Because Boston is a hotbed for young acoustic musicians. And I, I don't know, it's just something about Boston that really attract all these incredible people. So my mom forced me to go out to Boston and find somewhere to live. So I flew out there. I went to the scholarship office. I kicked down the door and I said, I said, I want to, I want a full ride. And the guy was like, hold on, hold on. What's your name? I was like, my name's Ricky. He's like, what's your name? He's like, my name's Dan. I was like, okay, cool. What? And he's like, what instrument do you play? And I was like, I play banjo. And he's like, dude, I play mandolin. I was like, no way. I was like, I was like, you into Bale Fleck? He's like, dude, I fucking love Bale Fleck. I was like, no way. Let's hang, <laughs> let's hang out and pick. So we got together. We played. And I moved in with this guy, and he was just this incredible jazz mandolin player, played bluegrass. His name's Dan Bowie. Um, uh-huh. and, and I moved in with him, and he taught me so much. Um, man, he really took me under his wing. Him, him and his brother Bach really taught me all the fiddle tunes that I know. They really showed me a lot of bluegrass. And that was like six months before Berkeley started. So yeah. six months before Berkeley started, man, I was jamming like every night with all these people who were living in Boston. So the scene is really where I got my education, man. There's like a bumper. I don't know if you heard of the Cantab Lounge. Sure. But the Cantab Lounge is a, is a bar in Boston that has bluegrass on Tuesday nights. I don't know. I, I don't know if they're doing it. I haven't been in Boston in a few years, but um, that's really where I learned to play. And also just hanging out with Dan and Bach and other players on the scene. That was priceless. And then Berkeley started. I'd already had a bunch of friends, like, cool, I'm gonna do this. I started going, I had like a, like African philosophy class, I had an arranging class, I had a music technology class, I had an ear training class. And in the ear training class, I probably learned the most important thing that I huh. had learned at Berkeley. That thing is that um, the teacher said, he said, anything that Berkeley can teach you you can learn by yourself transcribing. Save yourself the $100,000 is what he said. Huh. And, and my mind was just kind of... <laughs> 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 and it, it really impacted me. And, and it still does to this day that... I, I take it you agree with that statement? I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Transcribing is an incredible exercise of the mind. So let's, I mean, I was, I was planning on asking you a bit of this when we get to talking about your videos, but let's just dive into that right now. What, what do you think is 
the value in transcribing? What were you transcribing? And what is your approach to transcribing? Do you have strategies? <laughs> there's a there's an easy way and a hard way. Right now, like recently, because I'm learning this big Bach piece, I ch- kind of cheat. How do I transcribe this Bach piece? I Google like Bach, like partita MIDI. I find the MIDI, import that into table edit, pff, like there it is. And all I do is like change the <laughs> notes around and find the right fingering. And then for yeah. that, I pulled up the DVD of Live at the Quick and actually like looked at Bela Fleck's fingering. And that's kind of how I figured it out. That mm. took me about seven hours to do. So that's cheating. That's a really fast way to do it. It's not exactly the... Um, it's, that it's wasn't one, the intent of your professor, I, I imagine. Um, I don't know. But actual transcription, man, it comes down to the human voice. Is If you can sing it, you can do it. And I, I, I learned that, that it's not about, I mean, this is just like an example, but it's not about how fast you can play, but it's about how fast you can hear. And from my time at Berkeley and being surrounded by world-class musicians, the thing that I found that the best musicians had in common is that they all had incredible auditory imagination. Hmm. What do you mean by that? They could imagine things in their mind clearer than us mortals. By imagining in their mind, you're, you're saying that ju- just if you, I don't know, if you, if you imagine the greatest guitar solo that you can come up with, the guitar solo that they're hearing in their mind is better than... No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm talking about a clarity of thought. I'm talking about, okay. like, if you close your eyes... I mean, in an example, like, if you, like, like, like you think of your first car. Close your eyes. How clearly can you imagine your first car? Uh-huh. It's like sometimes dreams are more vivid than others. Sometimes you don't remember dreams at all. But in the time dreams are absolutely vivid and you're actually living them, some people can imagine things that clearly, like all the time. They just have much more clarity of thought. And those people mm-hmm. who can actually imagine music more, like all they got to do is translate that into their instrument and like there is their soul. And so a huge part of me with my own music is like, well, what is the thing that my soul wants to say? Because it doesn't have to say, it doesn't want to say anything. I don't really want to play. But if I'm feeling this thing come through me, it's my job to be a conduit and translate it. But I've seen people with a lot more inspiration than me. I'm inspired and I, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly gifted, but that doesn't mean I have like a lot of, and, and lots of and beautiful ideas. You know, I'm, I'm a refiner. I'll take things and I'll refine them. But there's some people who just have much more, like just more clarity in their imagination and they're just able to express and they have to. Like I, I, I'm not really in a band right now. I'm not performing. I, re- I, re- I really want to be right now. But um, I don't know. I hope, I hope well, that makes sense. No, it makes absolute sense. But the, the question I'm left with is, is that something that is innate or is that something that can be cultivated and worked on and improved upon? I think it's, I think it's both. I think it's both. And, and well, how, uh, we, we can't help what we're, we're born with, of course, but how, how would one, in your opinion, work to improve our musical, what, what did you call it, our, our auditory creativity? Auditory imagination. Like auditory imagination. Auditory imagination, yeah. Man, you, you've seen that guy, Rick Beato and his kid? Oh, yeah. That's, that's some so, of the most fascinating stuff I've ever seen. So this is an example of good auditory imagination. So perfect pitch is... Um, Long-term tone recall. This kid can just imagine, he, he can just think of a G note and it's there. He can just remember it. I, I can't do that, man. It's very strange. No. From what I've, well, from what I've heard from, from uh, or read from people who do have perfect pitch, to them, it's almost the same as 
what color is this playing card that I'm holding up? And you know it's red. It's the same thing. You hear a note, well, that's that's G sharp. Like, what else would it be? It's a red, it's a red piece of paper, and you can identify that with your eyes. If it's a G sharp frequency note, well, where you the, identify where that, that with your ears. Where that metaphor gets funny for me is like we train ourselves to have perfect uh, relative pitch, so you can hear intervals. Like that's a fifth, that's a third. Okay, sure. But in colors, what if somebody showed you a color and you had no idea what color that was until somebody showed you two colors at the same time? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And so it's it's very odd to me. It's very it's very odd to me that that metaphor. But <laughs> but I think people with perfect pitch, people with perfect pitch, I've heard they say like, oh no, like it's it's not an advantage. I'm like that's fucking bullshit. Having perfect pitch is so much of an incredible ad- advantage in in How could certain, it not be? certainly yeah. just in terms of just having a mechanical advantage of the mind. I'm very strongly of the opinion of that. And God, I wish I was born with perfect pitch. I, I'm kind of colorblind, and I wish I had, had better color vision. You know, it's like somebody with color vision, like, oh, it's just the same. It's like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> I just ran that red light. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's color vision deficiency. <clears throat> so I don't know if we actually got to – do you have any ideas for how somebody could actually improve on that? You know, Mike Munford said the best thing I'd ever heard. is like, Mike, like how do you practice? He's like, man, just keep working things out. <laughs> I thought that was the best answer to like how do you practice? What should I do? He's like, just keep working stuff out. But I think the answer for me is to follow what you love and only what you love because – any like because of the trials of life, any rational person would give up, and you really have to love it in order to persist. So, what should somebody do? It's by God damn it, follow your heart. So, to put that in context, what what does that look like? Does that mean for me? Sure, I've been obsessive with Bale Fleck and the Flecktones since I was in high school to the point where people are like Ricky, will you stop listening to that? I'm like, man, you're probably right. But then I listen to other music and I, and I fall asleep and I'm, you know, I'm just like not into it. So it's like, for me, it's like, I just got to like, just like put those people out of my life and really just get into Bela Fleck, like really, really obsess, you know? And it's like, I love it. <laughs> I, so, I don't know why, man. I do. So it sounds like the, it sounds like the answer is just like indulge yourself. If you're feeling any sort of flicker of inspiration that love must follow that that love must be cultivated at all costs and a lot of people will live their lives suppressing that and this like sensation they had when they were a kid that was very loud gets more and more suppressed but i try to live a life to build a lifestyle around where the active practice and cultivation of that love happens without willpower Interesting. Yeah. So just fewer obstacles between you and your goals. Is there anything else you want to say about your, your time at Berkeley before we, before we go on? I know, I know that's oh to my younger self and anybody, this goes out to anybody who's thinking about going to Berkeley. I say, um, it's fucking expensive and they only let you go full time. And when I was going there, it was like $22,000 a semester, but if you go for one semester, you get access to the whole thing. You get to meet all the people. You get to go on the trips. Go for one semester. Even if you pay full price, it'll change your life. That's what I did. I went for one semester, and then, like, I was playing. I, I Twisted Pine, a band that I was in that started just from, I was, like, getting wedding gigs. Um, with Dan, right? With, da- with Dan Bowie, Kathleen Parks, yeah. and Rachel Sumner just kind of appeared in the class. Um, and then Adam Moore, who's a, who's a bass player, 
we were in it for one semester and they put us on a few festival stages and like we got hired to play festivals. And then like the long story is from our perspective, Twisted Pine just started getting all these emails from high profile venues at Berkeley being like, yo, we, we want you to play this fundraiser. Why don't you play this fundraiser? We didn't know. We were just getting driven around in limos and paid, you know, good money to play these places. What's going on? I don't know. I wasn't even going to Berkeley at that point. But the band that I had started in the, um, in the ensemble impressed people at the festivals we played. But we got the attention. This is after the fact. Well, somebody pulled me aside at one of the fundraisers. be like, do you know why you're getting all these good gigs? I was like, no, why? He's like, because this billionaire Chinese real estate investor told the president of Berkeley he likes your singer. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's convenient. Adam Moore, this guy was awesome, just an incredible singer. Like the original Twisted Pine was so much fun with Adam and Kathleen and Dan and Rachel. Man, it was such a blast. Politi- a lot of political drama, oh my God. But it was the musically just a fucking blast. So much power. And then, like, yeah, Twisted Pine started to take off, you know? And then, before, like, the night before we were supposed to compete in Rocky Grass, Adam Moore, the lead singer, quit. You know, that was right before we were playing Gray Fox. Fresh Grass, like we played Fresh Grass opening for the Punch Brothers and he quit. You know, it was, it, he quit before a lot, huh. a lot of Provo is because he was just like, what? I want to answer the question. What would I tell to young people who want to go to Berkeley? Go for a semester. You'll get hooked up. Don't spend $200,000 if you don't have it. Don't take on the debt, but you can handle 20,000 bucks. You can do it. Going there and being involved with the people, being involved in the institution, being involved in a place like Boston that has everything you could want from like, like free swing dancing at MIT to like free juggling classes. There's like a good rock climbing gym. There's a fat skate park. The place is beautiful. There's an incredible music scene. You got to get out there and go, man. It was such a blast and it's connected and it's rooted and they can really play out there. I would strongly recommend going for one semester, spend the $25,000, whatever it is. It changed my life forever and it still does. Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out the courses they have and this is just for banjo you could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with bill evans Clawhammer banjo with evie laden wade ward style banjo with bruce molsky the banjo according to danny barnes and contemporary bluegrass banjo with wes corbett each of those courses include high quality video lessons downloadable notation and tab play along tracks and plenty of tunes and songs to play and the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't 
make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. I've heard you make comments about the classical education system. Is this where that sort of uh, crops up for you as an area of interest or an area of reflection in your own playing? Well, that, that, that came a little later. That came gotcha. a little later. Here, here's well, here's one thing that came up. Like, I, I was taking lessons with Wes Corbett, but Wes Corbett was on the road a lot, so I didn't really get to hang out with him that much. But one thing I found in the Berkeley Library was, um, it was a Bela Fleck book that I had never seen. I'm not a Bela Fleck obsessive, but I was going through the library and just, like, looked around. And this is after I decided to drop out. It's funny enough. But I found this, like, this, ba- this six-CD Bela Fleck set from like 1988, you know, at the towards the end of his time in Newgrass Revival before the Flectones. Yeah. And I was like, what? Banjo the picking heck? styles, right? Yeah. Banjo picking styles. The six CD set, not the DVD. And like that book changed me. So I found this book. He basically has a he has a um, a systematic approach to single string. If you've seen my video on single string, I just like steal it from that book because it is so good. And it is it belongs in the in the public database. It is so good. Bela Fleck took it from, from John McLaughlin in his DVD, The Way I Do It, by the way. So it's just, it's just, it's a, it's a jazz guitar approach to single string. I might as well, I mean, you can't really see my fingers. Yeah, but yeah, it, let's get it, some it, playing. It, it, it sounds like this. Um, a little choppy there, but I gotta roll up my sleeve. And then... But the, the moral of the story here is I found this this book that had scales in it. He had a bunch of banjo tunes. He goes over bluegrass. At the same time, I was reading this book. I was trying to figure out like what meditation was. It was that phase of my life. Um, and I was also reading this book on mastery by Robert Greene. If you're familiar with Robert Greene, he's a very cutthroat author. He's so awesome. He wrote the book on like the laws of power and like the art of seduction. Then he wrote this book called Mastery. And it's just like, the, <laughs> like, like how does the human master something? And then I was reading this book on scales and like meditation. So what I learned from the meditation book is that meditation is simply the cultivation of focus. I said, okay, great. If I'm going to achieve mastery, I'm going to cultivate focus on these scales. So I dropped out of Berkeley and I started just fucking practicing. That was the first time Mm -hmm. I really was like doing like six, seven, eight hours a day just to practice scales. And so I, you practiced I really, more post Berkeley than you did even I while you were there. I wasn't practicing at Berkeley. I learned a lot of fiddle tunes, oh. but at the same time, I was going to Berkeley. I was only there for a semester in spring 2013, and then when I dropped out, like my playing had gotten worse, you know. And so I dropped out, and I just, I just went hog wild. And that's the time that Twisted Pine started to take off. I was in another band called uh, Cat in the Moon that played a lot of original music of mine, a lot more Celtic kind of stuff.
And then I was in a jam band called Hot Day at the Zoo that had already been around for like 10 years. And they found me and Dan Bowie at the cam tab. And we got hired, boom, like fucking overnight. We were just on the road, like in the fucking, the big, like, uh, like, like what is that? Like the rental, like the Ford Expedition that like seats like, uh, you know, eight people, but we fold down the back seats. Yeah. It fits the stand-up bass, the amp, all the instruments. And we're like in the big black, you know, car with the black leather interior with like the DVD player going to like Virginia. And all my friends were like, I want to go on the road. And we were just fucking going and playing for all these, like just playing for like deadheads and stuff. All these people knew all the lyrics. Yeah. So, like, he's like, oh man, I've seen this band like, like for years. I'm like, dude, I joined the band like this is my my, my sixth show <laughs> but man that was fun hot day the zoo was a blast they treated us so well we were staying at hotels man it, it was a party it was a party yeah. it was so much fun and we were playing like we were playing can't stop now you know we were playing and, and a handful of my original stuff it was fun it was fun oh that's really cool yeah so also in your post berkeley days is that where you developed what you call the banjo ascension formula Yes. Yes. The tell band- me. Tell me about this. This is a really interesting thing that I've heard referenced in your videos. Okay. So, um, I got into philosophy podcasts, and this one podcast in particular talked about the education, the classical education system, and the classical education system was composed of three things: grammar, rhetoric, logic, and that's it. Grammar is the ability to read and write. Logic is the art of correct thinking, and rhetoric is the ability for somebody to express themselves clearly out loud. And with this, I mean, this was the education of the Roman elite, it was called the liberal education system, and it's also known today as the trivium, Uh, but it's basically the way that you can liberate the human mind towards the end of self-expression. And I got pretty fascinated with this. I studied grammar. I studied a little rhetoric. I studied um, logic. To what end? I don't know. But I liked the, the, the guy, Wes Cecil is his name. And I listened to a lot of his podcasts. A lot of his stuff on Taoism, too, we can talk about later. But the classical education system, grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And he's like, oh, that's the way to liberate the human mind, huh? It's like, okay, great. Like, how can I apply that to banjo? It's like, I know. Well, in the podcast, he says that the way you learn, the way that they used to teach the, the trivium, was by first, you memorize the masters. You just like learn how to read and write just by just like read, copying exactly Cicero. Cicero, Cicero, Cicero. Because he was all about personal liberty and uh, yeah, personal liberty. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Personal liberty and self-expression. So first, you just memorize the masters cold. Second, you learn how to take the, like, the, the masters' arguments and like make your own arguments out of them. And then third, later on, you learn how to argue against the masters. So I said, great, how can I do that with my banjo playing? I said, I know, I'm gonna memorize every tu- every tune off Drive, I'm gonna memorize every tune off Tales of the Acoustic Planet Volume 1, and I'm gonna memorize every tune off Tales from the Acoustic Bl- uh, Planet Volume 2. Huh. So I started, I started doing that, and in that very obsessive process, um, I made a few breakthroughs, and this whole time I've been fascinated with etymology and grammar particularly, um, so I was like, great, how can I apply the trivium, grammar, rhetoric, and logic to banjo playing? And in kind of, I mean, I have the Baleflex drive tab in front of me. The big breakthrough, this is the first big breakthrough that I had, is turning the forward and the backward roll, not, is to see them not as a three-note roll, but as a four-note roll. Because mm-hmm. if you can see the forward roll and the backward roll as four-note rolls, it opens up the door to making them similar to like the square roll, like the alternating thumb roll. 
And then um, if you have an alternating thumb roll, that also implies that there's an alternate index roll and an alternate middle roll. So yeah. in analyzing this Baleflex dry book, and I'm trying to create some grammar for myself to be able to recreate stuff like Bela. That's why I did it. I want to play banjo like Baleflex. He's like my hero. I love his music. I'm the most moved by his music. I came up with this idea of modes of rhythm. It looks like, it's like a, actually Victor Wooten got this from Howard Levy. And Victor, I got it. I actually got to hang out with Victor Wooten at Berkeley. It's another reason why you should go to Berkeley. I got to hang out with him like one-on-one a few times because nobody showed up because they didn't really advertise it. But that's another story. <laughs> but basically, in looking at forward and back rolls as four-note rolls, you can kind of classify them in the, and drive comes in like, like bars have eight notes in them. You can just see like little four-note rolls. And so... I came up with this theory that there's two kinds of roles. You have directional roles and you have alternate roles. The directional roles are forward and backward and the alternating roles is alternate thumb, alternate index, alternate middle. That covers the two classes and all possible types of four note roles. And then you go through the modes of those. I'm not going to do that here, but I've got a video called modes of rhythm, but there's basically like 17 possible roles and that's it. And then if you start to name them by like just what finger they start on, you can almost start to classify every single possible role. So any role you see that's four notes, you can instantly classify it. And so it dramatically increased my banjo IQ. And this happened in like 2016 after I had been performing full time for years, but I, I, I really wasn't satisfied yet. That's where I made the first discovery. Um, that, that applies to the trivium, the classical education system that I wanted to reinvent this banjo theory for myself to make music that sounded like Bela Fleck. So I had that one breakthrough, the modes of rhythm. The next thing is I've heard people talk about this, and it's the most important thing in banjo playing, in my opinion, that is so underlooked at and so undertouched, and it's really the answer to all banjo playing. How do you play banjo? It's you play the melody and you add rolls to it. That concept me being fascinated with uh, etymology, I decided to call isorhythmation. And it just means play the melody and add rolls to it. I'll give you a little example what that sounds like. And what rolls should you use? Well, any of the rolls from the modes of rhythm. But say you have um, this thing. Um, you could just add some rolls. Or another roll. The third little piece of information that I invented while analyzing these, uh, these Bale Fleck books, it kind of comes from the, that, that single string exercise, except applied to chords. And I call this one diatonic triple stops. And that's just, you just take a three note chord and move it diatonically. Which just means you're just moving it around in a scale. So if you couple, I guess triple, if you couple, if you couple <laughs> isorhythmation with modes of rhythm, and diatonic triple stops, you have the banjo ascension formula, which basically allows a banjo player to be relevant in any type of music possible. These are all, the way you explained it is really interesting, but it's it's sort of conceptual. So how does somebody take, let's say the, the modes of rhythm, for example, and use that in their playing to improve? Is there is there a way someone like, like myself could discover these and, and use it in my music? Well, that's a, that's a pretty specific question, and the specific questions come with specific answers. And usually the best way to answer is honestly banjo lessons. I'm available for lessons. But when it comes, like, honestly, 
analyzing tab is probably the best way to see it fleshed out. Because hmm. if yeah. I just tell you like here, like twinkle, twinkle, little star with the alternate index roll. Or here's twinkle, twinkle, little star with a middle reverse roll. I can I can say it like that and I can understand it. I don't know if that if that, if it's if it communicated best to you. Um, what that I means. guess what I mean is is like is this something that people should watch your video and then practice all these roles on their own? Like no, maybe with no, the metronome no, just to it, get it's, it. It's it's not it's not like that. It's not like that. What it is this is a nomenclature system to mm. basically identify all possible roles and all possible diatonic chords on the banjo. So when given a melody, you'll be able to flesh it out with rolls and chords. So it's it might be analogous to, rather than seeing each letter on the page, start reading words that those letters yeah, make up. Yeah, that's a good one. Like that's that. a good. That's a good way to. That's a good way to look at it. You you mentioned some things about your your time with uh, Twisted Pine. I, I at least want to acknowledge that that band and then you individually have won several fairly prestigious contests. We're talking fresh grass competitions, rocky grass competitions that you've, you've won uh, both of those as both a band member, as well as an individual competitor or what advice do you think you'd have for other bands or players to be successful in contest situations? Uh, that music is not naturally competitive. It's just not music is about the music. And if you focus on the music, um, you're you're right. I was really lucky to be in a band with just incredible people, incredible players. A lot of political drama in that band, like I said, but but the players were just explosive, and we knew it, mm. and we were good, and we just like could fucking play. And so you know, it, like like we we got lucky, you know, like but bands, it, man, it's like a, that thing was like a five way marriage gone wrong. You know, it was very exceptionally difficult. And so, but the only time you're gonna meet people that'll be like, yeah, man, let's fucking hit the road, let's all go together, is like in music school, you know. Like right now, it's like I couldn't imagine finding like a group of people, you know, that are like in their like mid thirties. Like, you want to hit the road, or it's like, do you want to start a band? It's like, man, starting a band. I could, like we got lucky because at Berkeley, you kind of get the institutional push, and like you got to get put on these festival stages. But starting a band without the institutional push, it's like, oh my god. What advice can I give to people who are competing? It's like, like music is not competitive, but uh, be true to the music and be excellent. That's it. Push yourself for excellence. Bill and Ted couldn't have said it any better, I don't think. <laughs> Let's talk about your original music and your your own composing. It's it, most of your music that I'm familiar with, it's pretty unique and noteworthy for the whole like banjo over drums and electric bass slap trance bass. kind of vibe. Sup. Slap bass, yeah. Sup. And and I guess I'll I'll refer people to your your album called New Age Connection, which is like the perfect way for folks to check out what I'm describing right now.
talk about that approach and why do you think that that is a better fit for your compositions as opposed to like guitar and mandolin, for example? Oh, well, let's see. Um, so being in bands was hard uh, because I was composing a lot, but banjo music that I write, banjo music that I hear, considered like, I, you know, all I, you are what you eat and all I do is like, listen to Bela Fleck, you know what I mean? So a lot of the stuff that I come out with sounds like Bela Fleck. <laughs> but being in a band with people and like asking them to learn that and then like arrange things and like have it be good, it that's a tall order for people. And it's actually, yeah. it, it was incredibly difficult for me to like get like a lot of satisfaction in bands. But yo, you guys want to learn this? It's like, dude, we got to be on the road. You know, being on the road, it's like, it, like as soon as you're touring, music, like, like the focus is not on the music as much as it is like just uh, like getting there. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of like the new age connection, all my videos are, you know, the release of like years of creative constipation. And a lot of these songs, specifically on the new age connection, are manifestations of me trying to like put flesh and bones on the banjo ascension formula. The banjo ascension formula being those three pillars which we talked about isorhythmation, modes of rhythm, and diatonic triple stops. For instance, I, yeah, you know, like the New Age Connection, it's like a, it was just a, a lot of creative juice that I had like finally like figured out how to record, how to get drums on, and the music was just, I could just, I could just play. You know, I had to learn how to play bass, but for instance, let, 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 me, let me flesh out um, this idea. This song is like, it's the B part to the song The Way on the New Age Connection. Here's the melody. So if I add diatonic triple stops and rolls to it, you get this. So a lot of the New Age connection is just me like having all this stuff that's been backed up for a while and I finally figured out how to do it. I have to finally figure out how to create it. So yeah. in that sense, like being like a studio guy now, it's like I'm getting a lot of creative satisfaction just from being able to spend time practicing my stuff, refining it, putting it out and moving on. You know, it's really focused on the music and it's really focused on a creative process, not so much practicing not so much yeah. performing, but it's more about the music, which is, it's different than being in a band. It's, it's different than traveling. For sure. For sure. So the, the way you just demonstrated it was breaking down the melody and then, and then, like you said, fleshing it out. Is that the way you compose those? Do you, do you come up with a single note line yeah. melody? And a, a lot of them were, yeah. A, a lot of them were, yes. That, that's how I wrote a lot of the songs on there. Some of them just kind of came out, but, but. There are, there are definitely a lot of songs on there where I was like, what's the melody? And I just added rolls and triple stops to it. Got you know? it. And, and, the fact, and the fact that it has that slap bass and drums, you think that's mostly born out of the fact that you were so influenced by the fleck tones that yeah. that just happens to be what sounds I, natural. I, just, for... I love it. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I love it. I, I think it has to do with just like, like you know, that time where we're all very um, impressionable. Uh-huh. And like the Flectones, just like the UFO Tofu album when I was in high school, just like just uh, just 
changed me. Just scratched you know? that and, itch. Yeah, right and I, yeah. I just, I, I, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if I can say this, but I just don't know if I'm as malleable. And it's like, like, why can't I listen to a new album and like have that change me? Well, because it's not as good as the Flecktones. Is that true? I don't, I don't know. I think it's just because I'm, I'm older and I'm not as like as malleable. So, but now I have this purpose where like I just have to figure out how to recreate that. You know what I mean? And it I agree. really drives me. I really love it. I agree, man. I'm I'm a little bit older than you are, and sometimes it's it's frustrating because you remember how significant this music sounded to you when you were at that impressionable age, and it's like, man, I haven't felt that in a long time. Maybe I never will again, but it's very rare at the yeah. be- at best, you know. Yeah, where's but- Elon Musk when you need him? <laughs> come can, like, on make man the chip you can make the chip and just like trigger things in your brain that'll like release i don't know like like nerve growth you know but then like while it's happening they hit you with a tesla ad it's like <laughs> i guess i can't wait i don't know maybe i can <laughs> so what what a lot of people probably are familiar with in, in terms of knowing you and your music is your presence on YouTube and social media making all these videos, which is like the vast majority of of what you're doing now. And there's those are both like a lot of instructional, a lot, a lot of playing demonstrations. Um and I don't know. So let's let's talk about that for a bit. So your your videos, I find them really hilarious. And it's cool that they have this like modern internet style of presentation rather than this like overly saccharine thing that we're used to from from banjo videos. So that's that's kind of refreshing. And I'm just wondering, do you consider yourself like a natural teacher and how did you develop these ideas to present to people th- through these videos? Well, actually, yes. I I do consider myself a natural teacher. And that and that's simply because I'm I'm not a slow student, but I am definitely not like a natural musician like I've been around. Like that girl Kathleen Parks she yeah. was um she started Twisted Pine. I mean, I she was like the for, like the first love of my life. I was so in love with that girl because of her <laughs> skill with music. And she was she's a violin player and she grew up playing like Irish fiddle. And then like when we started hanging out, I just kind of like we met and I just like started playing like some just like just a bunch of stuff in C minor. I remember the jam. And she's like, whoa, sick. And she just kind of like started vibing with me. It's like, oh whoa. And we just had this incredible connection, but she didn't really understand music theory that well. And she didn't need you because she just had this very pure emotional relationship with music. She wasn't one who practiced. She would just like listen to stuff and she could just do it. And I'm not like that. I think she is probably the single best musician I have ever been around. And it's like, I I can't under overstate that. I can't understate, I can't overstate it. And I really wish everybody could be around somebody who's that naturally talented, who doesn't need to know theory, but everything is just so primal. She can just imagine it and do it. It's yeah, I've, and, I've seen her play, and uh, both her her playing and her singing are she's very in, compelling. She, yeah, she's incredible. I did. I remember like I spent like three months transcribing that that Bela Fleck Freeborn Man solo, right? And then like okay. we would play Freeborn Man. I would like play it every night, you know. And then like one day she just fucking played it, and she just played it. She played Along the whole thing all by you no know, for her solo. And like, where did it come from? She, cause she heard it. And I was like, my jaw was dropped. It's like, who is this person? And, but then, you know, Viceroy's, you know, but then like, you know, the relationship didn't last. And like, just yeah, because of that, like the bands didn't work out for me. You know what I mean? It happens. But Mm. the funny thing is like being around somebody like her, who's very naturally talented. She also didn't have patience for learning, like for, to teach. You know what I mean? So she would like try to, I remember she was like teaching me the bare Island reel. And I was like, kind of slow. 
And she's just getting so frustrated. Like, no, you're not listening. No, you're not listening. It's like, well, I'm trying to, but like, I just, I'm just not at that, that level of consciousness, you know? And she had no patience for me at all. And it like kind of hurt my feelings. But nonetheless, when I teach, I'm kind of a slow learner, but I, but, but because I'm persistent, I've learned a lot. So when I teach people, I'm actually very, I just like take it right down to the level, see what fundamentals they can handle and, and, and teach them from there. And because of that, I don't know, just because I'm a slow learner, but I'm very systematic in my approach. I'm actually, I love to teach. I'm very talented at it. I've got a great relationship with my, with my students. I've got about like 25, 30 students right now. And they, they keep me afloat. I love them. It's awesome. So I am uh -huh. a natural teacher and I, I, I really enjoy it. There was another, there was, there was another part to your question. What was it? Oh, I, th I think it was mostly like how you develop the, uh, the internet, ideas the internet for topics. Thing, yeah. So initially, like, so funny story in the band Cat in the Moon, which I was mm -hmm. in a band with, with Kathleen Parks with Charles Bear too was the bass player and Kathleen met him at the cafeteria at Berkeley. Charles Bear too now has like, like a million subscribers on YouTube for playing bass. And huh. he got, and he got famous because, um, this guy, Davey 504. Davey 504, he's an instrumental bass player from Italy, and he just puts out very internet videos. I just like, dude, if, if Davey can do it as an instrumentalist on YouTube, I can do it. I just copied Davey exactly, and I just put out a handful of funny videos, and it, it was fun for a while. It was cute, but it was like, oh my god, it was draining doing all that video editing, but that's what I did. Now, my approach is a little different, um, but you know, as it is with an artist, you know, but now I'm trying to draw people to my Patreon, but... And now I'm trying to draw people to the um, my latest series, which is the Festival Bangers for Bluegrass Banjo series. Yeah, the bangers. Let's talk about that. The purpose of the Festival Banger series is to answer the question that people put on my Banjo Lessons for Experts series, which is like, yeah, like, Ricky, this is isorhythmation. Like, yeah, this is like diatronic triple, triple stop. Yeah, this modes of rhythm. But how do you apply it? I think and that's so what I already answer, asked, And then so my, like, dude, when I, like, when I was at Rocky Grass over the summer, like, jamming with people, I just, like, whip, whip out the banjo, and I start jamming along, like, oh, this is fun, and a lot of people come up to me, like, give me, like, big eyes, like, whoa, what's going on? And I realized, oh, yeah, like, my banjo playing is kind of different. You know, I've got a history, I played full time, I thought about it a lot, but I'm like, but I can see its effect on people, and they're like, like, how do you do that? Hmm. Well, the answer lies in the Festival Bangers for Bluegrass Banjo series. Where I just like I, I realized, man, I've got some slick arrangements to these tunes. They're actually pretty easy to play because of like the architecture of the arrangements. And like, how do I do it? It's all in the tap, man. And I can answer it like in particulars on there, but really the festival bangers for bluegrass banjo series, it's just, like my my gift to people to show them like this is how you can play a fiddle tune that's like you kind of break the rules, but you don't have to pay every note, but you can like play the rolls and just drive it and it's easy and it's fun. And you impress your friends, most importantly. And, but it's all based on the, I mean, the name, the, the name and the title suggest that these are all tunes that come up very yeah. often in, yeah. in jam sessions. And so it's like stuff that's like very directly and immediately useful for, yes, for people exactly. is, is kind of, is, is what it seems like. Yeah. They're, they're all common songs that people generally play. And I just want to give people an easy, accessible arrangement that can be built upon as well as backup ideas. And you've referenced this quite a bit, but some of your most impressive videos are these note-for-note -note Bela transcriptions, including like really burning tunes, Can't Stop Now, you know, there's a bunch of them. Talk about your process for that. How do you go about transcribing something like that note-for-note? -note? And do you have any advice for people who want to do more of their own transcribing? Oh my God, transcribing is 
it takes a lot of time. It takes a long time to develop your ear for that, but it is literally the most noble thing you can do on behalf of humanity, I think. So let's break for, it down, like for, nuts and for bolts. Me, yeah, for n- n- nuts and bolts, like I, I find something I love, okay? Let's say Baleflex Freeborn Men, or like the, the, the Can't Stop Now videos, right? Um, I, I look for Can't Stop Now MP3s, listen to them, be like, okay, I want to transcribe that. Okay, what do I do? Take that MP3, I put it into um, free software called YouTube to MP3 Converter by Media Human. They have excellent software. It's free. YouTube to MP3 Converter. Okay, boom. You copy that link, you put that in the YouTube to MP3 computer by Media Human, gives you an MP3. You take that MP3, you put it into Amazing Slowdowner. Amazing Slowdowner is a software for, it's like 50 bucks. Um, and you can just like just slow songs down and loop them. And then you can actually change the pitch if you want. Uh, and then from there, like then you, then you start talking like technically like what's going on in particular. And with banjo, generally speaking, if I if I may get granular with you all, particularly the banjo, it's usually forward, backward, or alternate rolls. And then the next thing you want to pay attention to is what finger it starts on. It's like a middle forward roll. It's an index reverse roll. It's a alternate thumb roll that starts on the index. It's an alternate thumb roll that starts on the thumb. It's an alternate middle roll that starts on the middle finger. That's generally, those are the rules of them, and that is... Those words that I just said are a direct consequence of the nomenclature I do invent that's under the subset of the Banjo Ascension formula. And I got to make more analysis videos so you can actually understand my thought process about just analyzing tablature. But yeah. as far as like, an, like, like man, transcribing Bale Flex stuff, it's like he does everything that Tony Trishka does and Tony Trishka is pretty well mapped out. I mean, there's a handful of licks you see and he just, Bailiff like just does them in, he, he rhythmically displaces them. A lot of it, you know what it is? A lot of it's finding the rhythmic motif and then figuring out exactly what the right-hand pattern is and then figuring out how the left-hand pattern fits it. And then figuring out where the shift is because where the shift is, is absolutely critical. But like, I remember there's like this one lick in there. It's like... And I have no idea how he plays at 160, but yeah. um, we're talking the stri- can't stop now. Like can't stop now. Okay. Yeah. But then like, my God, I was just going over this solo. My, my buddy, actually, if you know the band, um, hot buttered rum, the guy, the banjo player in that band was over yeah. last night. This is this guy, Eric Yates. He's a pretty, pretty sweet band. I mean, his banjo IQ is off the chart, but we were listening to this, this one Bela Fleck solo that I, that I transcribed and check out this lick. It's a, And what's going on, like, the thing to listen for is just the rhythmic motifs. Like, this kind of thing. That's, like, that's like three fives in a row. So, like, with a, with a single thumb at the beginning, so it adds up to 16. So it's super rhythmically, dis- yeah. rhythmically displaced. But this is kind of, it's an obvious melodic style thing. It's chromatic, but then this thing in five. And then this thing, it's like the, like the, bail of the, the liberation etude. So I don't, it, it depends on in particular which one it is, but usually there, there's a, some sort of rhythmic motif that he plays. I mean, if you listen to Bale like a new album, somebody I like, I mean, because I've listened to a lot of, he does a lot of like this kind of thing, but he does it in all sorts of weird ways. 
You know, like, like. Was it, what's that one he did? He does a lot of the same roles, but plays different notes on them and then displaces them. So if you're trying to transcribe Bale Fleck, you just gotta understand the banjo ascension formula, listen for the rhythm motifs, figure out what finger it starts on, and then go ahead and try and figure out the notes. But once you can figure out what the role is, then you can like have a pretty educated guess about where the notes are. I don't know if that was too granular, but I guess this is a banjo podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this is the this is the place for granular banjo talk. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. perhaps the best place. So it sounds like so when I'm transcribing, I probably have a bit of awareness about the, the roles and that kind of stuff. But I think largely I'm focused on the pitch of the note. Oh, and it sounds like your young. advice is you're to uh, uh, you know expand the scope a little bit. No rhythmic motif. I'm first rhythmic motif and then second note. Gotcha. Are you ready for Facebook questions? Sure. All right. So for, for listeners who don't know what's happening, usually I tip off some Facebook listeners on who I'm about to interview and solicit questions. So these are all directly from you listeners. So listener Jeff has a couple questions for you. Your videos are known for their fly banjo content. And how does one evaluate the flyness of, of any particular banjo content. Is there a, a metric that, uh, yeah, that we can uh, use? Definitely the limbic resonance. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, and next, how do you wear your finger picks? Oh, um, pretty, pretty straight, pretty vanilla, pretty straight ahead. I mean, you can probably see them on here. I mean, one thing I do is I bend the bands. If you look at the, the if you look at the cover of the Tales from the Acoustic Planet Volume 2, you can see Bale Fleck bends the bands on his picks. That's what I do. And I have Hoffmeyers and a, and a blue chip thumb pick. And you're saying, so uh, b- because nobody else can see you other than me, what you're saying is um, on the backs of your fingertips, where the, the bands, bands would normally yeah. like come together and meet yeah. behind your finger, you're bending those upward. Bend those and what's, yeah. what's the reason for that? So then they don't overlap on your cuticles. Got it. And uh, I guess I will state, it looks like Ricky's picks are also extended from his fingertips. Yes, a yeah, bit. my finger picks are, yeah, they're they're pretty far away from my fingernails, and also a, they, they extend far out and above my fingernails. Maybe right. I could like, upload a picture or something like that. And maybe this isn't something that you've thought about more than just that's what's comfortable, but is there a, a specific reason you wear them like that, or is that just how it ended up feeling comfortable? You know, when you start getting into... Um, like classical music and playing Bach and like a lot of like three finger single string just because you have to. The, mm-hmm. the 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 finger picks have to come out pretty far if you want to get like to dig into the fourth and third strings, basically. Mm. Got it. So is that something that changed for you over yeah. time? Yeah. In like okay. 2016 when I was like really digging into like the Bale Flex stuff, I, I meditated very deeply on my picks. And um, one, one thing that I did is I got a piece of leather, put them on the, the, the tabletop, and really just put my finger on that thing and mm-hmm. just kind of grinded, not grind, but just really try to bend the blade of the pick to match the, like, the curvature of my finger. Yeah, use it kind of to mold it. Yeah. Got it. Do you have any tips for cleaner melodic playing and specifically oh to address God. like cutting off notes prematurely to get during a, a position shift? Well, Bela Fleck told me that, and I, I love this piece of advice. He said, anytime you're doing a shift, 
from like one finger, like index finger, like just index finger to index finger, just like going up like that, he said you could probably get it. So that's one of the rules. If you're doing classical music and you're fucking burning, that's something you just gotta be able to do. You gotta be able to shift from anywhere to anywhere in a 16th note. But you don't, not two in a row, but just one. And with the, and with the same finger. With the same finger. That, you, mm-hmm. that can be done. Bailiff himself told me you could usually do that. And I, I love that piece of advice because it just like breaks through. You can do it once, but not twice <laughs> in a row. I love, <laughs> I love that rule. But this is another thing that I haven't, that I haven't made a video about, but I, I really need to. Um, but how do you get better at melodic playing is you got to learn how to play it straight. You got to learn how to play it with swing and you got to learn how to play it with reverse swing. So what I mean by that is say you have, uh, let's take, let, let me put it like right here. Here's a, here's a metronome at 60 beats per minute. Hopefully I'll put it a little closer to the mic. Um, you got like this phrase. Uh, that's straight. If you want to get fundamental rhythmic mastery, first you do it with swing. It's going to sound like this. But a lot of swing. So it comes, starts to sound like a two note burst. Yeah. Back straight. Now the hard one is where you actually do it with reverse swing, and that sounds like this. We could do it a little faster, but it's 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 better illustrated like at that time. But um, yeah. The thought process behind that is that how the swing works is like you take, you basically keep the first and the third note lined up with the click. The second and fourth notes, when things are swung, the second and fourth notes come late. So it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. So two and four are late. Reverse swing is where two and four are early. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So when you're practicing this, you're training yourself to have the muscle memory to play Basically, in two-note bursts on either side of the beat. Yeah. So one, you're training yourself to have a two-note burst, and one side is really tight, the other is slow and relaxed. And then you reverse that, and then the opposite side is slow, and the opposite side is relaxed. So what you're doing is you're not only training your muscle memory to handle this kind of variation in rhythm, but you're also training yourself to set your top speed that your fingers can play. So when I say like we're playing, like this is like 80 like, oh, let's put it back down to 60. And you want to play it with swing. Um, it sounds weird, but you can go like, like. That's probably a little better, a little faster, but like, um, uh. practice my classical pieces kind of like that like so i hope yeah. that answers your question but that is that i mean and practicing that literally is the oh whoops practicing that is literally the single exercise that turned me into a professional sounding player that one alone and i still do it all the time 
And the way you work on it, are you just going through fiddle tunes that you already know and playing them with those rhythms imp- superimposed on them? It works. It works better on. Uh, it works better on um, songs with straight straight sixteens like daka taka daka taka. Um, so scrug style with eighth notes gets a little a little tricky. But I press it on fiddle tunes. You can do it with exercises because fundamentally, a lot of people have trouble doing that. First off, they can't even like sing it. Like going like da, ka-da, ka-da, or da-ka, da-ka, da-ka. A lot of people have trouble with that. So one is just being able to hear it. Next is being able to mechanically do it. And then the third is like applying it to Lonesome Fiddle Blues or just something with straight 16s. Yeah, very cool. I won't say who who raised this question, but who has a better banjo mustache, you or Davy Jones? I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen David post any videos, so I haven't seen his mustache in a while. Well, maybe we should set a date in the future where you can you can both give it your best preparation, and it'll be you know main main event MMA mustache battle. <laughs> Who's going to be the banjo judge? battle? <laughs> I, we'll put it up to a vote. Okay, <laughs> it'll be a pay per view thing. We'll, we'll... <laughs> we can make, we capitalize on this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listener Chris, and I'll paraphrase the question: What's this six string agenda that we keep hearing about, and what? What can average banjo players do to to fight back against the six-string agenda? Well, since the dawn of time, the elites have known that the crystalline tones of the five-string banjo have been solely responsible for spontaneous human ascension. And the six-string agenda came about the same time that the guitar was popularized to suppress the banjo and keep the banjo buck-toothed and slack-jawed in nature in its connotation. So people will not attempt to play it and make music out of it. So unfortunately, this is something that I personally have to combat every day by making dope-ass banjo content. So, <laughs> so, so the, it sounds like the best way we can combat this is simply by... Smacking that like button, leaving a comment, hitting subscribe for more fly banjo content. <laughs> and keep playing the banjo. Just a, well, you know, it's Viva la Resistance. No, the banjo. No, it's 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 the way that the banjo is played. I, I need to hear more people play role based playing. The whole thing about the banjo ascension formula is it's primarily role based in nature, and I really want to hear more of that stuff. It's just like if you hear Bale Fleck stuff. I mean, for me, it resonates the most. Why? Because it's actually pretty simple because it's role based, and then you got to like know like the, the algebra, the geometry, the architecture, like how it kind of shifts around and stuff like that. But Bale Fleck's playing to me is simply the most moving. Um, it's the most moving. And I, I want to hear more people play in that style. And I, and I do not hear enough people play in that style. And it's largely because it's, it's so simple and so not understood. It's so, it's like, it's like a lot of people can't like, it's, it's hard to grasp. You know, my life's yeah. work is almost grasping this thing. And hopefully I, when I, by the time I die, you know, somebody will like kind of see what I was getting at. Let's talk about your gear. What's okay. your what's your favorite or primary instrument to play? Take us through that. I have I have two two banjos that are my principal banjos. Both of them are Robin Smith Bale Fleck copies. The hmm. first one has a mahogany rim. The second one has a maple rim. Um, the first one, which got broken in a car accident but recently repaired, has a, a, a wreath inlays. That's the one with hmm. the mahogany rim. It's got a really thick neck. That's the one I've been playing mostly because it doesn't buzz as much. The the maple banjo I actually took out this morning and I was playing it. it sounds good, but it just buzzes on like 
like the first, like the, the first string and like a handful, like the sixth and seventh frets on the second string. So it's kind of a buzzkill, but, <laughs> but, but I'm right. getting them plecked. Um, but I, I love the banjos. They've got a five to seven inch compound radius. Um, Robin Smith, unfortunately passed away. Gabe Hirschfeld recommended uh, him to me. He built these banjos. I mean, they're like $4,000 banjos. It's like a really professional quality instrument. That's for affordable. You know, like the violin players, they could spend $20,000 easily on right. a professional violin. You know, we're really lucky to manage a simple yeah. machine. Mandolins, um, too. Let's see. What am I particular about? I'm not too particular about it. I, I really, one thing I am particular about is that when the banjo setup gets out of hand and you just keep messing around with it, I will just take the thing apart, clean it, and put it back together. And somebody <laughs> once told me, I was like, how do you like put a banjo together? He said, don't fuck it up. <laughs> and so, I just try to do that. I don't really care about what the head is tuned to. I just, what I'll put the head on, I'll tighten it. How does the banjo sound? No, I'll tighten it again. How does the banjo sound? No, no I'll tighten it. And then, oh, it sounds good. And it actually happens to be, it always, like, the note's usually like an F sharp. I don't know why, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't tune it to an F sharp. I tune it to when the banjo sounds good. And for some reason, it happens to be around an F sharp. I raise the tailpiece pretty high. I like to have it where it's really loose. Just open is the sound that I like. I want a really open-sounding banjo. Very resonant. Strings, I'm using some really weird strings right now just to combat the buzzing on my banjo. You're not gonna believe this. Nobody's gonna believe me. You're all gonna think I'm crazy. But the strings I'm using on this banjo, it's 9, 20, 13, 13, 11. 9, Nine 20, 13, 13, 11. Because wow. it just, okay. like, now I'm using a 13 as my second string and my third string, and 11 as my first string. I think I want a 12, you hear that? Just buzz, yeah. man. But that's why I find it just buzzes the least, you know, and I'm, I'm just, man, I'm trying to get a, a banjo that doesn't buzz with a compound radius. I'm getting, Tim Davis sent me one, but it buzzed all over the place. So I, he's sending me another one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's another Bela copy type of it, instrument. It's a Bela copy. I just want to, I want to find who's the guy who can just make good, consistent Bela flight copies. Nice. Who is that person? Do you know? And our, I, I think you're on the right track in terms of finding out. If it's not Robin Smith, then he's gone. Tim Tim Davis would be the one, you know, one one of the people who who are definitely qualified. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you what you end up with or what mm -hmm. you think of it. What about other gear? Do you have a favorite like microphone or recording or live performance setup? Um, I was using the Fishman pickup with um, an LR Bags Venue DI. I thought that mm -hmm. was the simplest and the cleanest. I liked having like a reverb pedal. Yeah, you get a lot of volume from that, but no, I'm I'm not too particular. The LR bags and the Fishman pickup, but I, I like the sound was good with the reverb. It was it was, it was wet. It was cool, yeah, but um, yeah. just going through a mic is fine. No, I'm I'm not too particular. Gotcha. You know, even even with all like even with like audio visual stuff, I just use my iPhone to film. I've got a Focusrite interface. Actually, the Focusrite interface is important because all the other interfaces give you this proprietary crap that you find out after you buy it. It's like, oh, it actually, doesn't, it doesn't work with Pro Tools, but you can buy our software. It's like, no, you can go to hell. <laughs> right. But, that yeah, I, I, use, I use Pro Tools and Adobe Premiere. Oh, one thing, man, I just found out about this. I don't use Google anymore. I use the Brave browser because it does not track you and it doesn't allow ads by default, but you can turn ads on and they pay you in crypto. So I just found this Brave browser in the Brave search engine, man. I love it. Oh, amazing. That's cool. Never even heard of it, but that yeah. learned something. Man, I think we covered a ton of great stuff here. 
is there anything else you wanted to mention that we did that we didn't get to before we uh, cut off? One here? thing we didn't really talk about is my um my my heavy involvement in uh my heavy involvement in qigong, and I I, I spent a lot of time practicing qigong and studying Chinese philosophy and Taoism to build a lifestyle where I become like me without trying. Like I practice without practicing. I use no willpower to like become what I will. It's like one thing I, why I, I wanted to bring this up is because like not only that, that whole trivium, the, the classical education system, the grammar, rhetoric, and logic, like not only did I do that with, um, with playing banjo, but I also extensively applied it to this ancient form of like energy cultivation and from that and reading a lot of mysticism i actually figure out how to achieve immortality but that's a subject for a different lecture and i'm sure we can talk about that one next time but i just wanted to remind everybody that with grammar, with grammar rhetoric and logic you can systematically figure out how to master anything and i wanted to show you how i did it with banjo and, you know, how I did it with Qigong. And I just want to let people know that all you need to figure out anything in the world is grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And then from there, it's up to you to manifest your own spiritual enlightenment. Tell everyone where, where on the internet, regardless of browser that everyone's using... Where do they go to find you and your your videos and your music? How, how, just how do people look track up Ricky Meyer on YouTube. You can find Mr. Rick on Instagram or on Facebook because I'm not I'm not really blown up. I'm not blown up yet, you know. But yeah, YouTube is probably the best. RickyMeyer.com. You can message me through there. Um, it's always nice to have buddies. So yeah, right on. Well, hey Rick, it was great catching up with you as always, and uh, thank you so much for your time, man. It was yeah, man. Uh, my pleasure. And that brings us to the end of that interview and this episode of the Picky Fingers podcast. The song clips you heard in this one in order were Logan's Farewell by Ricky Meyer, Blue Bop by Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, Up 18 North by the Kruger Brothers, Eucalyptus Fall Down by Cat and the Moon, and Cassiopeia by Ricky Meyer. Thank you once again to Matthew Smith, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself. Contact the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And everyone take care and I'll see you next time. <laughs>